The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Miss Meg. Well, I invite your attention this morning to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 as we continue our uh, verse-by-verse study as God would have it through the uh, gospel of Mark. As you're turning there, I want to just give you an announcement next week. Uh, Jeff Jones uh, has been, uh, uh, Jeff Jones' knee has been bothering him a lot, so he decided to get it worked on again, but he has prevailed. Uh, Lord willing, Jeff Jones next week will be doing Mark number 8 of a healthy church Uh, next Sunday morning as we continue our study of what those are over discipleship. And Jeff has been working on this sermon since May, guys, so uh, you might want to pack a lunch and a cooler and just uh, continue to bring forth the the fruits of joy and praise. I love you, brother. Uh, Jeff, as you, uh, we are looking forward to next week, but uh, I've read it. It's good. He has Amy trained to a cue. Amy has like been practicing this every Sunday morning for weeks on end in the sound booth. So uh, we're ready to go. As long as his knee's good, we'll be, he'll be up next week. Well, Mark chapter nine, and uh, we don't often have these. We're, we're not a royal nation, but I love royalty in some sense. These stories that come out of royal lives because we don't live royal lives. Unless you're a Royals fan, that only happens once every 30 years. So, um, <laughs> as it is. 
But the story is told about a 10-year-old named Wilhelmina. I had to say that millions of times in my mind. Wilhelmina, who was a crowned queen in Holland or the Netherlands in 1890, long before even Jack Dewey was born. And the happy child... (laughs) Hi, Jack. I'm just in a joke mood this morning, so you have to bear with me. But the happy child was too young to realize what was really happening. She looked around, and she saw all the pomp and the circumstance. And if, you've, if you're a royal watcher, the weddings and things, you remember these things. And at the thousands who saw her, she wondered what her part was. So she asked her mom, she said, Mama, does this mean that all these people belong to me? And in one of those teachable moments, her mom, smiling, looked at her and said, No, my dear child, it means that you belong to them. Oh, if our government only had that, right? Greatness comes when you give yourself in a world and a life of service, forgetting about yourself, sacrificing and serving and doing those things. And at 10 years old, this young lady needed to learn that lesson. And what a lesson a reminder for us to today that Micah 6.8, you've probably seen this quoted a lot and out of its proper context, but Micah 6.8 reminds us to, to do, oh man, what is good, to, to, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with the Lord. And so many things that Jesus said about walking humbly, about serving, about giving come from Micah 6.8 as it's interpreted in and, and, and taught by Christ in the New Testament. But there are so many different things that Jesus even said that are different than our natural way of thinking. As we said so many times in our study of Mark, we have an upside down kingdom. The things that are are the things that aren't, and the things that aren't are the things that are. That's why Jesus said, those who are poor in spirit are rich. How does that work? Those who are mourned are comforted. Those who are hungry are satisfied. Those who are empty will be filled. Those who give will receive. Those who lose their life will keep it. Those who are last will be first, and those who are first will be last. And the greatest among you doesn't have the most Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter followers. In fact, the greatest among you, Jesus said, is a servant. But that's not the American ideal, is it? Because we can do it ourselves and we can make our way if there is no way. Because we say that greatness belongs to those who can get in there and get her done. But greatness belongs to the one, Jesus said, who is servant of all. And that's what we have to ask ourselves today. Have we taken up the towel, so to speak, of service for others that are in our lives? Or have we merely become a master that gives out tasks? Will we serve God with whatever he's given us, wherever he sends us, to whomever we must go? Or will we simply stop back and say, Lord, those aren't my people. They're not my tribe. But as Spurgeon said, if Jesus is precious to you, then serve him with your best and give him all that you have. Now, many of you know the phrase I'm about to quote, but it's not correct in, well, it is correct, but but let me flip it for a moment. The big idea today is not that Jesus will say to you, Jesus isn't going to say to you one day when you get to heaven, hey, well done, awesome work, good and famous servant. Jesus is going to say, well done, good, and what? Faithful servant. And our passage today, just like that young girl had to be reminded of, is that as Christians, we are not here to serve or to be served, but to serve. None of us that is saved is not called to serve somewhere, not just in a church, but everywhere. And one of the greatest reasons is we've been bought with a price. We have a life that is not our own. We've been given eternal life. And there's not a believer among us here today that's not called by God's grace to give ourselves for the good of others. And Jesus teaches that who is first in the kingdom is the greatest. Who is the most servant of all is the one who receives the best blessing. I need to hear this. 
you need to hear this. We all need to hear this because even in our American culture where we know different, it's so easy to slip out of it. And I pray today, if there's anything you take away, is that you learn and you appreciate more what Christ did for you so that you can therefore serve others in his name. So three truths today, and they will be short because we have the Lord's Supper later, and as important as that is, we want to get to it as well. Three truths today as we serve other people. You must overcome, we must overcome, desires for pride as we serve one another. We must also overcome the desire for position as we serve one another. You don't just serve in a place to step stone up to a better place within the church. And you must overcome the desires for prominence, that you are it, that you have arrived, that without you, everything else fails. Oh, man, uh, that's a bad place to be if that's how you feel. But I want to remind you that last week, before Jesus gets into this, he told them that he was going to die. He told them that he was going to be resurrected. He told them that he was going to ascend back to his Father in heaven. And yet, somehow, we end up in these verses. We'll scratch our heads together as we do that. If you're able this morning, in honor of God's Word, would you join us in standing and reading just these uh, about four or five verses from Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 37. Asking the question, the disciples asked themselves, who is the greatest? Hear God's Word this morning. And it says, and they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they, referring to the disciples, kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And verse 36, and he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Oh, that a lot of churches would grasp this, this, this thing, that it's not about their production on a Sunday morning. It's not about the personality of the pastor. That a lot of families would get this. It's not about having your son or daughter get to the Sports Illustrated or the best college or whatever it is. Oh, that a lot of individuals would know this, that even if they're passed over for a promotion, if it means serving others in the name of Jesus, there's so much application here. We know this. We know what it means. May we apply it by God's grace to our hearts this morning. Would you pray with me as we start off this morning? Father, what great grace there is to be reminded that it's not about us. It's never been about us. Father, you in your graciousness have allowed us to come into the fold by faith alone in Christ alone. But ultimately, it's about your glory. And Father, forgive us if we have forgotten that it's not about our five minutes of fame or our followers or our potential. It's about using such things, if we have those such things, to the glory of your name to advance the kingdom of God. Oh, Father, that you would put to death any pride within us, any prominence within us, any jockeying for position within us, that we too might receive these words of Christ. It's not about who's the greatest. Father, thank you that you are the first and the last, the beginning and the end. There is no other God that you know of that except you, Isaiah tells us. So, Father, be glorified from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. Thank you for this. We pray it to the glory of your name, and we ask it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, as we come to this text, uh, this is on the heels of Jesus telling what he was going to do. It's like when someone tells you something profound, 
and then you come up to them and say, man, I could really use a glass of water right now. They would look at you and say, did you not hear what I just poured out my heart to you? Did you not hear what I just said? And yet here are the disciples, not understanding really what Jesus told them last week about him dying and resurrecting. At least they didn't want to understand it. And then they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. This sounds like every Christian church around the world, doesn't it? We want to go here, but we've got to deal with these distractions over here. So the first thing I want you to see that to serve other people, we must overcome our desire for pride. Notice the penetrating diagnostic question that he has here in verse 33. Uh, it tells us, first off, as we get there, it says that they came to Capernaum. Uh, let me just remind you that Capernaum was the HQ for Jesus. This was where Peter's mother-in-law back in chapter uh, 1 was healed. Uh, when my friend Brian preached here back in February of 2017, wow, a year and a half ago, remember the man was lifted out from the roof? You remember that? The, the man who was healed, the paralytic? And, and, and this was the place where he had cast out demons. This was the home of Peter and James and John. This was home sweet home. And this is where Peter's home was. And Peter was probably the one you see there in verse 33. It says he was in a house. Whose house was this? Not a house, but the house. This was probably Peter's house. And as long as we know, Peter was, Peter was married and most likely had kids. You ever wonder who that random kid was Jesus picked up? Probably Peter's son, most likely. So Jesus is in a place of familiarity, and the disciples may have felt to themselves, I'm, I'm comfortable here. Uh, we can have these discussions here more than at other places. But it says he began to question them. Now, let's be very clear here. He knows all things Jesus does. Amen? Do you believe that? He's not saying, oh, man, I wonder what's going on in their minds today. He knows exactly what's going on. He wants to test them and see what's within their hearts. So he asks them the question, what were you discussing along the way? And again, Jesus is God. He knows all things. And he knows all things that will happen. In the parallel account in Matthew 20, Jesus took them aside and explained the same thing, that he's going to die. But after this, the mother of one of the sons of Zebedee, one of the, the disciples' mother, came up to Jesus and asked this question. Jesus, what will it take to get my, guy, my sons on your right and left hand? I mean, wow, that's a bold mama, isn't it? Jesus, what will it take for you to make my sons the greatest of all, to have proximity to you? And then we know in Matthew 20, 24, the parallel account with Mark 9, that when the other 10 heard this, they got angry at him. You got your mama to ask for you? You mama's boy, come on now. <laughs> the reason is they wanted their, the mom beat them to the question. So they're having this ongoing debate. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? It's almost like if, uh, you know, in our church, if we said, you know, who's the best softball player? Who's the best cook who's the best whatever and you might say this and you might say that but at the end of the day it's not about us it's not about us in fact the bible is not about you it's about jesus christ as you'll see on the screen it's about jesus the bible's not about you you know that story of david and goliath how many of all have heard that 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 the, the, the troubles in your life are like goliath you ever heard that before and that you have to take the five stones of faith and throw it. No, the story's about David and Goliath. It's not about you. Don't read yourself into the Bible text. Be very careful about that. The Bible is about Jesus Christ from the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. He is the Word, and the Word was with God. It's about Christ. 
And praise God, we get to play a part of that. But don't think, you know, it's like that old proverbial pastor story. The guy opens his Bible. You know the story, right? He opens his Bible randomly, and it says Judas hung himself. Whoa, <laughs> that's weird. Then he says, oh, i got to do this again. He opens the Bible again, and Jesus says, go and do likewise, right? <laughs> the Bible's not about you. It's about Jesus, and that's what it's about. And, and he had to remind them of this because their pride was welling up. And that's the sin of social media. I love social media, but I am I, I'm dead serious about it. I am a couple clicks away from being done with Facebook and 13 years later, done with it. Because it's foolish to live your life worrying about what other people think about you, especially people who don't even know you. Hey, I met you at a conference one time. Now we're friends, right? I can see all your family photos and your dinner date with your wife. That's just weird, man. God is not jealous about you. God is jealous for you, for his own glory. Don't make your life about you, your name, your kingdom, your glory. Let's be honest, it's hard to admit our limits sometimes. It really is. It's hard to admit that we're facing ourselves. We don't like ourselves, but for this, there is grace. But Jesus had to remind them, it's not about you, disciples. It's about me. And you notice there in verse 34, he continues on. And, and there's a deafening silence. So you see what it says there? Look at your Bibles. Verse 34. Once again, the disciples, including Peter, probably in his own house, are silent. But they kept silent. These are the disciples, man. They don't keep silent. They know they're in trouble is what happened. It's like when mama finds you doing something you shouldn't be doing. And they said, keep silent. Stop, stop while you're behind. Because you remember this? Back in Mark chapter 8. Peter said, Lord, I will go with you wherever you want to, and you can't die. That's not God's plan for you. You can't die. And what did Jesus tell him? Get behind me, Satan. (laughs) He had nothing else to say. They've learned something of the lesson. But on their way, they discussed it. It tells you what they discussed, verse 34. It says, for they on the way had argued with one another about who was the greatest. This was an argument, probably a heated one at that. I mean, Peter probably said, well, guys, I'm the one that got the name change. I'm Peter the Rock. You know, that's me. I gave the great confession. And then the, the meekly of them all probably said, well, no, it's going to be me because I don't bother Jesus and mess up like you do, Peter, all the time. You can see this going back and forth, back and forth. Self-centered, self-promoting, selfishness. And the timing of this is crazy. This is on the heels of Jesus revealing deeper and deeper truth about what's to happen, and they're still not getting it. Friends, that's why I want to remind you this morning that God's commitment to you and us is not based on our character. It's based on his character. The Bible says in 2 Timothy, while we were faithless, he remained faithful. If God working in your life was dependent on you (laughs) and me, oh my, it would be the craziest thing ever. I'm grateful that God works around us sometimes. God does work in us, but often God has to mitigate around us because we are just so stubborn in our ways. Aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you grateful on the fact that God ruling this universe is not contingent upon who is leading on whatever government, sports team, local PTA, whatever? It's dependent on Him. God has already won the victory. Guys, we don't have to live a somber life because we already know the end story. We can risk big for Jesus because he's already in charge of everything. And it's based upon his commitment to his character. And there are times when we can relate to these disciples where where God looks at our hearts and he says, 
are you really following me faithfully? Are you just putting on a show so everyone might think you're looking good? And God shows those things in our character that need attention. And it's safe to say we're in constant need of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. It's like that man who drove past that sign that many of you have wanted to drive past. That sign that says, do not enter. The road is closed. <laughs> and he gets five miles down the road, and, and his wife, who was the naysayer, is like, honey, I don't think this is a good idea. And he's getting more and more confidence. And finally, they get up to the stop, and they get to a bank. And what happens? It's a washed-out bridge. <laughs> and the wife says, I told you so. And the man gets mad, and they drive back. And on the back of that sign, it said, do not enter. It said, I told you so, stupid. And they keep on driving. <laughs> It's exactly what it is. <laughs> Come on, you've never had that happen to you before. Some of y'all are not brave enough to admit it. Be humble about it. <laughs> but sometimes our confidence is in ourselves and not in the grace of God and what he can do in our lives. And these disciples had to be questioned. Look, confidence is only as good as what you place it in. I can put my confidence in my 1993 Dodge Shadow that's in the, the heap uh, a car heap somewhere around Kansas City that I drove for 15 years. That doesn't mean it's going to start when I turn it on. I can build confidence in a lot of things, but when going through life, the only one where we can place our trust fully is in the unchanging, all-powerful God who says, I have this. Do you trust me, or do you want to be the one in charge? Pride must be out of the way. Secondly is this. We must overcome the desires for not only pride, but also position. Look back at verse 35, if you will, in your Bibles, your smartphones, your tablets, your, your, your papyrus, whatever you got, verse 35. And it says, and he sat down. Who sat down? And Jesus sat down and called the 12. You can think here they're probably scattered around Peter's house. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. I just want to take a moment and, and walk through this with you because it really does come down to what we have here. The golden teaching moment for Jesus and his disciples were often impromptu, informal, on-the-fly, unplanned situations, just like they are with your kids. You know, uh, our daughter and I had a conversation the other night, and, and she asked the que some deep question about the gospel, and I shared it with her. I'm waiting for the come-to-Jesus moment, you know, and then it's like, what's for dinner, you know? <laughs> it's like, how did we go from love kids. But he sat down. You notice he sat down? What that means is it's a posture of a rabbi. He's getting ready to tell important information. It's like when you need to tell someone something, you say, why don't you have a seat? And he called them. And he says, if anyone wants to be first, let me just stop right there. If anyone wants to be first, is it wrong for you to seek to be first within the kingdom of God? The answer is yes and no. It's not an improper thing if your desire is to serve Christ with your life. That's always a good thing. Should always be a good thing. And we want to be the first in the sense of being Christ-like. But if, if your desire is to be in a place where you can be in a position, if I just say the right words, do this, do that, I can get my title under my card that says this, that I do this at this church. That's the wrong side. In fact, the right side of this is, is, the, is the preacher, Jonathan Edwards. Many of you all know Jonathan Edwards. He's an old dead guy. Been dead for like 300 years almost. And he wrote what were called the resolutions. He wrote uh, resolutions at age 18, uh, dozens of them, where he said he would be, wanted to be the most complete Christian on the planet at the age of 18. I didn't think I could drive at age 18. 
And this guy wanted to be the most complete Christian. He desired to do it all for God's glory. And that's why there is perhaps no more Christ-like position when you get to this place than to remember this, that you are to love those who hate you even when it's hard and when times come. Because if you desire to be first in the kingdom of God, one of the hardest lessons that you're going to face are to face the fact that you're not always going to please everybody. For some of you, that's a real struggle. It really is. You struggle with people not liking you, and that bothers you. You put something on Facebook. I've used this example before, and it's like been five seconds, and there hasn't been a like to your post. And you go and edit it, and then you, you step away. I'm not going to look at it. An hour later, it has no likes. I just need to delete this. That's just that's narcissism is what that is. We need to be very careful that as we serve, as we seek these things out, that if we want to be first in the kingdom of God, we do so humbly, but we do so for God's glory. But as we do so and we live for Christ, there are people who are going to look at you and say, stop living for Jesus so much. Stop it. Because what are you doing? As you live for Jesus, you are exposing, by not, not intentionally, but as you live for Jesus, you're exposing where they're not living for Jesus, and then people hate you for it. That may be Christian, truly may be Christian, more likely, and it may be non-Christian. But what did Jesus tell us? He told us in Matthew 5, the verses you know well, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so you may be sons of your Father in heaven. I just want to tell you that sometimes when you want to be first in the kingdom, when you seek to live for Christ humbly as he truly says, there will be people within your own ranks that get more mad at you than people outside of your ranks. When you live for Jesus, you will offend people, maybe not intentionally, but pray for those who persecute you. And so we ought to be that person who desires above all else to serve Christ in his kingdom. And he says, if anyone wants to be first, he says, my desire for you is that you would grow in the grace and knowledge of me, and that on that last day, you may be rewarded for all your faithful service, not for your sake, but for mine. And then he gives the stipulation. Did you notice that at the end of of the verse? How does one be first of all? He he shall be last of all and a servant of all. All right, we joke about this, but how many of you all know that the best place to be is at the end of the buffet line? Do you ever know that? Why? You get fresh food, that's right, amen. You get to clean up after everybody else. But this has stipulation here. Did you notice he doesn't give any requirement other than all? A servant of all. For some of you, that's going to be, and I, I speak this very openly, that may be a different race color that's hard for you. For some of you, That may be that family member who has turned orientation a different way than what the Bible would say is correct. For others of you, that may be that boss who just drives you nuts and you have to submit to him or her. For some of you, this may really be your spouse. Where serving your spouse is one of the hardest, most teeth-grinding, nails-on-a-chalkboard experience that you could ever have in your life because you know the life they live. I don't know. What Jesus says is there is no more Christ-like position than to have to be a servant of all. That's why everyone is truly welcome in this church, truly welcome in this church. It is okay not to be okay here, but we don't want to leave you there. We want to point you back to what Christ has done in the gospel. And to do that, we have to be servant of all. And I praise God for this church because we have a neighborhood. Do you know in our neighborhood there are over 50 languages spoken within Maple Park and Grace Moore alone? It's crazy. 
Our prayer is that God is bringing us the nations that as we reach out, whether it's through an event or individually or, or door-to-door, whatever, internet, whatever we do, that we reach these people. And there may be times where your skin color is different than their skin color. Your orientation is different than their orientation. But I pray that we have what Christ says here. If you want to be first, that we serve all those who come in our doors. Amen? And that's what we have. And you will have that as it is. You notice he says the word servant. What does this mean? It means uh, attending to others' needs. It means someone who has lost the worth of self-importance and does the will of the master. It's one who's not too beneath to serve. The servant here is the same word used for deacon in 1 Timothy 3. It's labor done for the master and those in the house of the master. It's a doer, not just an observer. It's a laborer, not just a spectator. It's a worker, not just a talker. There's a lot of people who say, I want to reach people for Jesus, but you ask them the last time they shared the gospel, and the crickets are louder than their words. And it's the same word used in John 2 for the water to wine. The servants went with Jesus. It's the same word used in Romans 13 where the government is the servant of God to dish out justice. It's the same word used in 1 Corinthians 3 where we are to sow the good seed of faith. What is he saying? He's saying that they had been assuming that they were going to get a special position. He, the word here assumes that the disciples thought just because they were with Jesus, things were going to go okay. And they were, but not in the way they thought. He's not saying it's unspiritual to improve your life or position in life. Let me be very clear of this. Jesus is not saying that it's unspiritual to be successful in your life or, or to be over others in a group. Some of you are amazing leaders. Some of you walk in a room and can say, do this, do this, do that, and everyone says, oh, yeah, let's go do that right now. That's fine. But to be first, it's not wrong to be first string quarterback if that's what you have. It's not wrong to win a contest. What he's saying is we must have a posture of meekness and lower ourselves, that greatness is not determined by status but by our servanthood. And let me remind you today that your greatest needs, my greatest needs, and our church's greatest needs are death to self, conformity to Christ, and the filling of the Holy Spirit. Apart from these things, we cannot be useful servants for Jesus. When we stand before Christ on the last day, there will be a review of our lives. There will be. It's not a view of judgment if you know Christ. That's already been secured at the cross. It's finished. But it has been paid for by Christ as far as the east is from the west. But when we stand before the Lord, we will stand before a servant as a servant gives testimony to his master to give account to him and how we gave our lives to others. Did we keep it to ourselves? Did we give ourselves a way to help others? Did we share the gospel? Did we, every one of us, been faithful to what God has given us? You know, right now in your mind, I would almost guarantee you that many of you have someone in mind that you know that you've missed an opportunity this last week. Well, well, may God give you the grace to go fulfill whatever he's told to fulfill. And I love our church. Guys, we, you guys really are an awesome bunch of servants. When there's a need, it is filled so quickly, whether it's financially, whether it's physically, spiritually. Thank you so much. Would you pray this week and ask the Lord, Lord, what open doors are there? Who needs encouragement? Who needs spiritual help? All those things. You know, I love pie. Amen. I'm making you hungry already. And there's a thing called humble pie, right? You know it. It looks something like this. I didn't make this, and I'm sure it's graphically made. But appetite says, be sensuous, enjoy yourself. 
Education says be resourceful and expand yourself. Materialism says be satisfied and please yourself. Psychology says be confident and fulfill yourself. Pride says be superior and promote yourself. Humanism says be capable and believe in yourself. But 1 Peter 5 says be wise, God says, and humble yourself. That is what the scripture says. We must overcome our desire for pride and position. And finally, prominence, as you see. Look back at verse 36 if you have your Bible open. Look at verse 36. It says, and he took a child. Whose child was this? Probably Peter's son. Probably Peter's son. And, and let's be honest here, Peter didn't go to Capernaum that often, so he's probably seeing his dad for the first time in a long time. And he set him before these manly men. Can you imagine this picture, these burly men, these men who, whose hands are so callous and so cut, and uh, you know, uh, they don't have oil for those types of hands like that. They're just, they're just those hands. And he takes in him this thing, and, and his child, and he sets him on his lap, that alone was just countercultural. You don't touch children. You don't, they don't sit on your lap like that if you don't know them, not in a predator sense, but in a cultural sense of that day. He took him and put him in the midst, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. What is your motive for serving as Christ served? Your motive is because it pleases God. Your motive is not to get your name on the local list of best servants of the month. Your motive is that when you serve, you are receiving the Lord when He came together to meet with these disciples. You serve as Christ served. This reminds you of Matthew 25 that says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. A stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you came to me. And Jesus says in Matthew 25, 35, the righteous will say, when did we see you thirsty? I give you something to drink. When did we see you a stranger and invite you in and clothe you and sick or in prison? And the king will answer, truly I say to you that the least of you, these you did for these brothers of mine, you did it unto me. Isn't that awesome? Look, if you're in a dead-end job right now with no end, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You're in one of those jobs where nothing ever seems to go your way, or you're in a predicament where everything seems to go against what you want to do. May I remind you that Jesus so identified with and united every Christian from this perspective that anything we do in service of Christ's name is done for the King and the Master, even if you've done it for the same time for 50 years. Praise God for it. And it says, yet if you see a brother or sister in need, and we pass them by. How do we know this? How do we know this is not something that we don't do all the time? You know, someone asked me the other day, what do you do with those guys on the side of the street that fly a sign? You know what I'm talking about? They're everywhere. They are everywhere. They're in Liberty these days. For those who live in Liberty, there's one down at uh, Clay Como a couple days ago when I was going to the bank. There's all these people flying signs. What do you do with those people? You ever think about this? You know, most of us will do what most of us will do. We will hand them a few dollars and move on. You know, I've been convicted about this for some time, and, and this, the Lord working in my life, you can take it for what it is for yours. But I pray that, that if, as we have time, that we may invite them to a dinner or lunch and share the gospel with them the best we can. And that, that no matter what cost it may cost us to take that opportunity, that we would do it. You say, well, Darren, I've got to go to a meeting or something. You know, take a gospel track with you. 
You give them money, take a gospel track, pack an extra lunch, and we see the same guy in the same place all the time. You never know what God may be placing that person in your path, literally, so you can serve that person in the name of Jesus. Just because they're dirty, just because they look weird, and they often do, and I mean that sincerely, because they really have had no access to any facilities, then, then, then may we seek to love them. You know, uh, it's tough, isn't it? It's really tough. Well, what if they take the money and they go and they buy alcohol? You know, sometimes you've got to trust the Lord that if you're going to give them that money, that they stand in judgment for that, not you. You've simply been faithful to what God has called you to do, to be servant of all. That's what it says. Jesus is saying that we are the body of Christ. We are his hands, his feet. We are engaged in pouring out our lives for the needs of others. And friends, let me tell you, that begins first off with your family. That begins with your family. Some of you in here are so good servants. Don't neglect the home. The best church you can serve is the little church that is called your family. What if your kids are out of your house? Then start with those who are close. Start with your spouse and your children. He who cannot manage his own household, the scripture says, is worse than an unbeliever. Then it goes to your church. Serve the body of Christ, especially those of the household of faith, it says. As we function as a church, the body, we serve each other. Hebrews 10, we talked about it three weeks ago, that we not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And then to believers in other places. Do you know that, you know, uh, I mentioned a brother that is overseas. I'm, I'm live on the internet now, so I'm not going to say the name. You know who it is. But that brother overseas that's a service to him, that many of you know where he's serving and how we can pray for him. And then finally, serving other places in the world. But often we get that mixed up. We, we, We do the other places first, and then the church, and then other believers, and then the family. Friends, your family is your most important ministry. Do you know that? Your family is your most important ministry. As a pastor, I have to remind myself of that so often. Because it's so easy. I love you all so much. There's so much work to do here. There's times where I've got to say, no, I've got to cut the cord. And you do too sometimes. You have to back up and say, I need to minister to my family. But don't let your family be an excuse not to do those other layers. There's a, there's a position for each. Because it, didn't Jesus say in Matthew 28, go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and make disciples. We're called to do that. May God give us grace to minister in all the areas he's called us to do. And let me close with this. What should you expect as you serve? And I'm going to do this one at a time, Amy, as we go. What should you expect as you serve the Lord? Well, first off, as a motivating factor, why should you serve? Five things quickly. First, it glorifies God. When we fail to serve God, it robs God of his glory. Pursuing the will of God for us is serving his kingdom. Ephesians 2.10 says that God has given you works that only you can fulfill in the kingdom of God that he's prepared beforehand for you to do. Let's honor his name. You want to go to work in this neighborhood? Remember that Christ saved you from your sins. What better motivation is that? And there's a paycheck that no employer could ever cash that will ever equal to what Christ has already given you in the gospel. Secondly, why should you serve? What should you expect? You bring help to others. You act as the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. Wow, that's awesome. Some of y'all work in the secular world. You do. And you work in places that are tough. I, we know. But may you be a light for Jesus. May you see your job not as a Monday through Friday 
Tina, I'm going to pick on you because Tina and I were talking about this, or the place that holds your paycheck hostage, as you told me the other day. And that's a good thing. we got to work for that. But, but, and I know Tina agrees with this, but, but equally, may we pray. God, who is it in my work that needs to be prayed for, shared with, served? You'd be amazed at the opportunities. So many people say, man, I just want to go overseas and serve Jesus. But who are you sharing with right now where you are? The greatest mission field you have is the people that God's already placed right now in your life. Thirdly, serving and motivating what to expect, it brings reality to our confession. You say you love Jesus and prove it by your works. Our Sunday school class, first door on the right, when, uh, left when you come in, had this discussion. Uh, faith without works is dead. Do you believe that? You are not saved by your works, but your works show whether you are saved. Well, actually, you are saved by works. Can I tell you that? Whoa. You're saved by the work of one. His name's Jesus Christ. And he died, and it's finished once for all, and there's no more need to strive because he has become our finished salvation. But when you serve others, you are showing once and for all that you are in Christ. You are saved to serve. Fourthly, serving what to expect, what motivates you, it brings strength to our faith. It, brings, it exercises our spiritual muscles. We all need to be in some heavy weightlifting for Jesus Christ. We lapse into a spiritual couch potato, flabby and fat in our faith. And yes, I just use those words in a sermon, all right? But exercising our spiritual muscles by serving. Lord, where do you want me to serve? What, what needs are in the church? Lord, who is it in my neighborhood? Where, where can I go to serve? Lord, where is it? Where can I take the gospel with that service? And finally, it brings joy, brings joy singular to hearts. The more we serve, the more pleasure is in our soul. But be careful. You can serve so much that you serve just to serve, just to serve, so that you can feel good about serving. Do you know what I mean? You can serve so much that you get to the place where it's just about feeling good, but we feel like a, a round peg in a round hole for once in our lives. It's like that movie, Chariots of Fire. If you've never seen this before, Eric Liddell, the runner in the 1920s, he refused, oh golly, he would be in trouble today, for he refused to run in the Olympics on a Sunday. You know the story, don't you? back in the 1920 Olympics, and he said, he said, I will not disobey the Sabbath day for my Lord. He was Presbyterian. That makes him a close brother. But he said, quote, when I run, I feel his pleasure. When he served God through the gifts that he was given, Eric felt closer to the Lord. Friends, may we see this time in our church as an opportunity time and time again to get closer to our Lord. Where is it that God would have you serve. Some of you are serving so faithfully. Thank you so much. Uh, several of you went out yesterday and helped clean up the neighborhood and take things to the trash in our neighborhood. Thank you for doing that. Thank you so many for, for serving and loving on our families who've had a great loss this last week within our church. Thank you so many who give to Awana, our, our kids on Wednesday nights and to our adults on Sunday mornings and, and, and who mow the grass. And, and, and Don Harrison, I'm going to pick on you. And Don, who, who always gets laughed at when he goes in the women's restroom, no one's in there. And he changes the paper towel roll. You probably didn't know that till now, but Don does that faithfully each week. Or Carlos, who picks up my trash. God love him every week in my office. Uh, he's got to have a bodysuit every week, I'm pretty sure. But thank you, Carlos, for doing such deeds. And, and the list goes on. I could point out so many of you who serve so faithfully. Thank you. Remember, as you do it, it's for Christ's glory. And may we share the gospel even more boldly as we go along.
Guys, we love you. Let's pray together as we prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper this morning. Father, thank you for our time together. We know that, uh, that everything is yours, that the talents we have, the resources we have, the time we have, the possessions we have, the finances we, we have, even if it seems like the widow's might at times where it seems like we have nothing to give, Lord, it's all yours. And ultimately, salvation, that by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, for your glory alone, as the Scripture alone tells us, that we are saved to not just be an island on uh, the open seas, but we are to be an island, Lord, that is open and receiving others and going out from that place to wherever you may call us. Father, this is, this is easy, but I really do, easy in the sense, Lord, it's easy to talk about because everyone wants to serve, Lord, in some way. But, Lord, may you lead us in the way. May it not be our agenda. May it be yours. May it not be our plans. May it be yours. May it not be how we would see it done. But, Lord, as you are pleased, I think of Brother Doug this week, probably heading out to North Carolina, all the disaster relief people. There's so many people, so many ladies serving in this church, so many men, young, old. Lord, there's so many people we can look at and say, wow, Lord, keep us strong on the path that as we serve, we do it unto you first. Father, may you use those opportunities to bring us gospel conversations for your glory. Father, I pray for families in here. I pray for those struggling to take care of family first and not serve so others will see them. Pray for those who are struggling even to step out of the boat to service, Lord. Give them strength. Thank you that grace abounds, Lord. We thank you for Jesus. We pray all this in his beautiful, his precious and matchless name. And God's people said, amen. To join us in standing as we prepare, and I'm going to ask the deacons, guys, you want to come to the front row this morning. If there's a need in your life, we will be up front. But as we sing this last song, may you ask God, Lord, prepare my heart for the Lord's Supper as we sing this morning. Ladies. <laughs>